Well, good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Today, we finish up Philippians chapter 1 and come to Paul's challenge to the church, where in their conduct, they are to hold fast to one another in the midst of their suffering. We will see how the way that we carry ourselves, our words, our actions, all speak volumes to the world. And the calling of unity to the church is one where we must be willing to be disciplined to make changes in our lives where necessary. Thanks for listening. Have you ever been able to identify somebody just by their walk? Uh, the uh, last Tuesday we were at the log cabin uh, service and uh, it's, there's no electricity there. It's completely dark. And after the service, uh, I remember I was looking for a couple of the folks that made their way out. And of course, with no street lights, and there was no moonlight. Um, all you could see were these uh, soft uh, silhouettes. But lo and behold, I could, still, I could still recognize some people just by how they walk. In fact, you'd be surprised how much you can tell from a person by how they walk. It was a few months back, I was uh, walking from my vehicle into church, and um, I had been having some lower back pain, because I'm getting old, and my, uh, yeah, yeah, right, some of you said. Cry me a river, right, yeah. So uh, Marvin, he spotted me from all the way in the back. He said, you look like you're kind of hobbling along there, but I mean, he couldn't tell from uh, my face, he couldn't tell from uh, hearing from anybody, he could only examine my walk, and uh, because of that lower back pain, I went to see a physical therapist. And y- you know what those docs are designed to do is to fix that sort of thing. He said, you need to do three things. You need to change how you're walking. So it can't be all hunched over, right? You got to kind of straighten up and work on our posture, right? And the second thing you need to do is you need to work on these exercises. So he gave me these um, uh, pieces of paper that modeled how to do that. And they had little diagrams and pictures and you, know, you raise your arm and you twist here and twist there. And they said, the third thing you need to do is you need to be disciplined in doing this and continue to do it. And lo and behold, if you did those three things, you'd actually see a change. And I'm thankful I did see a change. But when I stop and think of to the simplicity of what it means to work on my walk, um, it's pretty obvious what needs to be done. And When I think through our Christian lives, when I think through our Christian walk, uh, there's some simple things that we need to do as well. Perhaps we need to make some changes. Perhaps we need to look to an example, a model to know how to properly uh, formulate our walk. Or, you know, perhaps we need to learn to be more disciplined in what we're doing. Um, as we've looked the last couple of weeks in the book of Philippians, uh, we saw in chapter 1 that the Apostle Paul is writing to a church that's united in partnership. They're working together. We saw last week how suffering is going to be part of the journey of being a Christian. And that that for the Philippians was something they needed to be updated on. Paul says, for me to live as Christ, to die is what? To die is actually gain. And that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel, he said. Well, this morning we're going to be continuing in Philippians. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. And we're going to see if we can finish up. Uh, the opening chapter here in the book of Philippians. <coughs> Philippians chapter 1. We will be in verse 27 through verse 30. Thank you, Helen. Page 1827 in the Pew Bibles. I'm entitling this message, Implications for Unity Among God's People. We'll, we'll read through these few verses 
and then work on making a few brief um, observations and conclusions. Paul writes these words. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Since you're going through the same struggle you saw that I had, and now hear that I still have. Uh, end of chapter 1. Uh, wrapping up and really kind of pr- providing some conclusions to what he's already told us regarding the partnership that we have in the gospel and the nature of suffering. You might notice as he begins, he starts out by meddling in your affairs. Did you catch that? Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. The Apostle Paul has, uh, pulls no punches here. He's not afraid to speak directly as to how you live your life. Do you know that your walk communicates things? I'm not talking about necessarily, you know, you're sauntering through life, but the way you live your life, the decisions you make, the language that you speak with. I'm not talking about English now, if everybody understands what I mean. Uh, the words you say, how quickly you respond to in frustration, how slow you are to get angry, how quick you are to listen. All of these factors of how you live your life, they each will give a reflection to the God that you serve. And so Paul here at the beginning is going to say, whatever happens. Notice he doesn't say, if it goes the way we want it to, you can conduct your life in the way that you should. He says, no matter what happens, um, Jesus said these words, that you and I are promised to have trouble in this life. And so I know I've preached that many times from this pulpit. How are you going to respond when that happens? It's been said that life is only um, 20% what happens to you. But it's 80% how you respond to the things that happen to you. There's, there's three ways that he begins this um, command here of how you conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Um, he says that you will stand firm in one spirit. You might see that in verse 27. Um, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. And in verse 28, without being frightened in any way. I want you to pay attention to those three verbs that he's using. The, the first here is standing firm. The second is contending. And the third is not being frightened. How do you respond when things don't go well? How how, how do you react to things when uh, uh, it seems like the whole world is falling apart? I I want you to notice that these commands, they would apply directly to you and I today when we face hardship. Uh, When you go through difficulty in this world, you will have to stand firm. The only way that you and I are going to be able to stand firm, though, is if we're standing on something solid. And the word of God's truth is for us the only foundation that we can stand upon that is solid. Jesus says these words. He says that if you do what I say, you are like a man who has built his house upon a rock. But if you don't do what he says, 
If you're just carrying on in life without following in obedience to what God has said, you're like the man who built his house on what? On sand. You ever been to the beach? What happens to the sand? Whatever direction the waves move, the sand moves. Whatever direction the wind blows, the sand blows. You and I are going to find ourselves in a world that's going to be continually filled with shifting winds and waves. What are you going to do in those moments? Are you going to be like that sand that moves and has no stability? Or if you, in obedience, conduct your life after God in loving obedience to what he has said, you'll be founded on a rock. And so this first command to to us, to the church, when hardship comes your way, stand firm. Stand firm. The second one is contending. Did you notice that? To contend means to fight for, to stand up and fight. Now, both of these two verbs, to stand firm and to contend, uh, they're given some important instruction. You're, You're not alone in this. Look with me once more at verse 27. He says, whether I come to you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in how many spirits? What's your Bible say? Two, three, four, what's it say? In one spirit, contending as, what's it say? As one man. The greatest prayer that Jesus offers to the church is that they would be one, even as Jesus and the Father are one. I've already kind of hit this uh, nail pretty hard as we've looked earlier in the book of Philippians. The two things that God has left for us, baptism and the Lord's Supper, supposed to unite us are the two things that have divided the church of Jesus Christ. And so you are never going to be united the, the longer that you stay next to whatever denominational standard or tradition you've inherited. Because we as people have splintered ourselves among these things that have united. So the only way you will be united is if you choose to follow Jesus Christ. Have you ever seen how a, a shark picks off its fish? You, you, you ever see how, how a predator fish gets its meal? If you've ever looked or, or snorkeled or, or seen even on nature shows how fish flock, they all flock in schools. They all move with one another as in one spirit, contending as if one fish. But if I'm going to pick one off, you know what I need to do? I need to splinter the school. I need to attack such that they scatter. And so there, the school of fish in that hardship don't find unity. Instead, they don't stand firm as one. They don't contend together as one. Each one goes his own way, and the shark gets his meal. The same is true for us. It's not a shark that's used as an illustration, but rather the Bible says the devil roams around like a roaring lion. You ever been to the zoo? You ever hear what a roaring lion sounds like? Imagine that. Some of you actually, you know the fear. You know the sound of the evil one attacking and speaking lies over you. When the devil speaks to us, especially in Paul's circumstance under suffering or discouragement, he does so such that you will feel alone or you're not good enough. And you will be tempted to not join together with your brothers and sisters, but to splinter off. And the devil will have won a battle to gain a victory of having destroyed you because you're no longer standing firm as one. You're no longer contending together as one. Paul speaks directly to this. 
And the third one here is that you and I would not be frightened. Did you see that as he says in verse 28? Uh, Without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Unity in the church is one that finds its confidence not in our ability to dictate the future. Again, you will have trouble. But I know the God who has overcome this world. And if I follow and hitch my wagon to his train, wherever that leads, whether the road is smooth or bumpy, I can trust and have confidence that I don't have to fear. I have nothing to be afraid of. And I am not dissuaded from contending together with my brothers and sisters. And I will stand firm because I know I am following obedience to God's will. Now you might recognize that the opposite of all these is also true. If you're not in obedience to God, if you have hidden sin in your life, and you're just continuing to press the spirit down, you're not going to be able to stand. And when you get hit with that wave, you will knock over. You will believe the lies of the evil one that will cause you no longer to want to contend with one another, but you will stray away from one another. I'll I'll hear the things, oh, I just couldn't make it to church today, or I know it's been a long time, and uh, church becomes something optional in the life of the believer, whereas it never, never can be. Boy, I kind of want to preach on that. I know I have a lot of time. (laughs) Just hear me briefly on this. Church and your faith is not something in addition to the rest of your life. You do not have soccer practice banned and um, I'm, I'm kind of in the life of my kids right now, if you can tell, right? Soccer practice and band and church. As if it's this extra thing I can add to my life. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have nothing else. He is your all in all. Church and your faith is not something in addition to the rest of the activities you and I have. It's all we are. All right, I won't, I'll, I'll leave that there for now. I, I could go a lot longer on that one. If you're with me, say amen. Are you with me on that? All right. All right. All right. Uh, two, two other things that I simply want to mention here is that as Paul moves further in his understanding of how the church should live, united to one another, standing firm, contending, and not being afraid, he says this becomes a sign to those who oppose you. God will save you because you walk as one who has confidence. You walk as one who knows, even though the road is bumpy, I have no fear. Whereas the rest of the world is shuddering when difficulties come their way. You and I do not. And that is for them a sign. And so he ends with this idea that salvation for you and I does not simply mean believing. Look with me down in verse 29. It's been granted to you on behalf of Christ. Not only to believe on him. But salvation for Paul also means being willing to suffer. What good would it profit a man if he gains the whole world, but he loses his soul? The exchange that happens when you come to faith in Jesus Christ is saying, take it all. Take it all. I want nothing but Christ alone. It's not not an optional addition to my life, but an entire uprooting of my old life for the planting of a new seed. Paul says these words, if anyone be in Christ, he's a new creature. And you and I are not what we once were, but we belong to God, adopted into a new family. It's not optional. And so suffering 
is part of that deal. Suffering for Christ is something that we would be willing to un- undergo and to, to, to forego. The writer of the book of Hebrews in chapter 12 says that for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. Think about that for a minute. Could you do this? Anybody willing to get nailed up here? Suffer and die? Slow asphyxiation? The torturous pain of having your nerves pierced with nails? Anybody willing to do it? You you might recognize how Jesus prays in the garden. Lord, take this, or Father, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but your will be done. Because he doesn't have any fear. He's not afraid to follow. He knows his Heavenly Father has a plan through all of this. And being willing to follow God's path in a world that you and I really don't belong in means that you and I might suffer. Are you up for that? I feel kind of like a coach here. I feel like I kind of got to prepare you for this because what happens in America is if things don't go our way, we kind of find another way to make it go our way. Because we're not going to suffer. And you'll find a lot of churches that don't preach a message of suffering. I'm going to preach the Bible to you. Are you okay with that this morning? Is everybody all right with that? Yeah, it says it's been granted unto you on behalf of Christ not only to believe, but to suffer for him. Verse 29. Can't, can't get around it. And, and, and so what are we going to do with this? I have five observations I want to give you. Firstly is this. Your walk becomes your reputation. How you conduct yourself becomes the way in which the world around you conceives and thinks and considers the pattern of your life. It becomes your reputation. My son uh, had the opportunity uh, to have a sleepover at Gary's house, uh, at, right, right over here. Uh, has, his, his best friend in the world has a great time with him. But as he's preparing to leave, I am concerned with my son's behavior. Because not only is he my son, he's also the pastor's kid. <laughs> right? So, uh, I want to make sure that his actions and the, the, the pleases and the thank yous, the, the yes ma'ams and the the no sirs, all, all of that is part of his life because he gives a reflection upon my name. His walk becomes his reputation. Therefore, my name. You carry the name of your father. People will know that you are Christians in the way that you either love your enemies or respond like the world does. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Which is it going to be? Because if you're following the Jesus of Nazareth, the carpenter's son, you and I don't get to do tooth for a tooth, eye for an eye. Jesus says, if they slap you on a cheek, do what? Yeah. I'm not sure that we're really coached enough to know how to do that. But that's what it means. Because the way you respond in your walk, it becomes your reputation. Here's a passage in John 13. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That is the calling card for a Christian. How you respond to one another. Jesus says that's how everyone's going to know. Because your walk becomes your reputation. Secondly is this. Your walk centers around the gospel. Needs to center around the gospel. I've said it already, uh, Christianity in your faith is not an additional thing in your life. It's not like when I uh, had school lunch. You guys remember school lunch? You, you, you picked up your tray and you hoped it was pizza, but usually it wasn't. It was usually casserole day. Which... 
or green beans or something, so you had extra jello. But the idea was that you could, you got all these little compartments on the tray, right? And so you'd scoop a little bit here and a little bit there and a little bit there. That's not how it is with Jesus. You, you don't get to carry your tray and add Jesus to the rest of your life. Your faith is the tray. Your life in Jesus Christ is not something that you add. The gospel in your life is not this little side dish along with my corn and hot dogs. The gospel for us, it is the tray on which everything we do sits. So that everything in our life becomes modeled. It takes upon the nature. It has the flavor of the gospel on that which it sits. I want you to see how this shows up. Look again in verse 27. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the... What's it say? There it is. Worthy of the gospel. The gospel is that which you and I use as the reference for our walk and our conduct. If you didn't catch it the first time, look a little bit further in verse 27. He says, I know that you will stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the what? It's there again, for the faith of the gospel. I don't think an hour and, and, and the projection of my hearken cry to you every week is enough. I, don't, I don't, honestly don't know how it could be for you to be enough. It isn't for me. Every time I'm in my car, I'm always looking on the radio for a sermon. When, when, when I'm at home, I have to find time to open God's word and study. Not because I'm the pastor, but because I'm a Christian living in an alien world. I need encouragement from Jesus Christ. I need the tray of the gospel to be reminded to me every day. I need it all the time. So that everything that I do begins to revolve around that gospel. Because otherwise, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to be tempted just to take it as this additional thing in my life. Sure, I'm a Christian and I'm a Packer fan and I'm an American and I'm, a, I'm all these other, you know, that's not how it works. I'm a Christian. Period. End of story. And that means every other label or hat or identifier that I would carry gets flavored by that. Gets defined by that. Is identified by the gospel. Look at this in the book of Colossians. Paul says, therefore, as God's chosen people. There's the gospel. Holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. What's that? Say the gospel. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. That's the gospel. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. Everything you do, everything I do, everything I say, my thoughts and my actions, my responses to my joys, my victories, and my failures. They all center around the gospel. All right, number three, your walk is to be a sign. Man, I could preach on this one, guys. <laughs> your walk, it's a sign. How you live your life speaks so much to the people who don't know God. If you, if you heard this uh, said before, they don't want to know, uh, care, they don't care what you know until they know how much you care. They don't care what you know. 
Hey, can I share the gospel with you? Fine. Well, yeah, whatever, right? But what, what if you lived the gospel? What if the gospel was the way in which you responded to them? What if you were available when nobody else was? You think they're going to listen to you now? You think the world actually has, uh, you've earned a platform to speak the truth of God's good news to them by how you live your life? Look at the scriptures once more, verse 28. Without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you, this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. I was uh, driving uh, in Green Bay the other day, and uh, there was a car... Some people don't know how to drive. Can I just start there? There, there, there was this car, and you, you could see him weaving in and out. And I don't know if you're like me, but I do not like to follow a car like that. So I, I didn't see any police officers, so I hit my gas to get around him. Right? I was getting around this fool. So I, I got around him, and then I'm looking in my mirror, and I see him cross four lanes of traffic to the exit. Now, no accident, but clearly he saw a sign. And thought, I got to make a dash for it, right? (laughs) How many people in our world today are living their lives right up to the edge of missing the exit? They will miss eternity if there's no sign. They won't know, here's the turn, quick, destruction's ahead, find salvation. They won't know to do that if there aren't believers living their lives in such a way that it speaks to them. You're headed towards destruction. You have no peace. You have no hope. You have no confidence. You don't even know what love is because you've been trained to think like the world does. Well, if we walk like the world does, they will never see a difference. Paul says, Paul says, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you, this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you and I will be saved, not by our good, but by God. So your walk becomes a sign. Look what Peter says in 1 Peter 2. He says, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, because you remember, they're not going to line up with what we hold to. Our values and their values will not line up. But even though they accuse you, they will see your good deeds and therefore glorify God on the day that he visits the world will have a response to the return of our king if we are living our lives as a sign. Number four, your walk is patterned after Christ. In verse 29, he says, it's been granted on to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Look at 1 Peter 2. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. I think I use the illustration a lot, but it's just because it's perfect. When I would go hunting with my dad as a kid, he would lead the way and he was sneaking through the woods. You couldn't hear a step like a, like a Native American with moccasins. You know, he's the, he's the hunter. And there I am just dragging my feet. And he, he turns around and says, put your foot where my foot goes. Step where I step. And he knows I'm not going to be crunching leaves or stepping on twigs because I'm putting my foot right where his is i got to go back a slide. Do you see what it said? To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow where? The, the best news that I can give you when you suffer in this life is that Jesus has already gone ahead of you. 
He has already suffered. Whatever it is that you're facing, Jesus has suffered. He has gone through it. And if you, being conscious of God, are willing to take ridicule and persecution, willing to suffer in this life for him, know that you are in good company. But make sure that you and I are preparing ourselves and patterning our life, our walk after Jesus as our example. All right, lastly, your walk is shared. Verse 29, this idea of suffering ends in verse 30. He says, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Notice Paul's struggle did not end. He's writing this letter from jail. But the church in Philippi suffers along with him. There's nothing that we do in our uh, Christian life that does not affect each other. It's a, it's a foolish idea to think, it's my life and it doesn't affect anybody else. And what happens to me is my business. It's not how it works in the family of God. Did I ask you this already? Anybody have a family member that's an idiot? Anybody have one of those? <laughs> Don't raise your hand. But just, just think through the way in which your own family affects you. It's not your decisions. It's their decisions. But they're either walking with the Lord or apart from the Lord. Their decisions to glorify God or glorify self. Who do they influence? They, they have an effect on you. Because what? You are Family. You've been adopted into the family of God as well. And so hear me now. What happens to one of us affects the rest of us. Nobody lives or dies to himself. The decisions for good or bad, they influence all of us here. In Philippi, what Paul went through, he says, you're sharing it with me because your walk is shared. Listen to these words, 1 Corinthians. If one part suffers within the body, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Your walk is shared. And because we are called to be iron sharpening iron, we need to know that our challenge towards obedience, to walk in patterning after Christ, centering our life around the gospel, it will do good for the rest of us. Here's what I tell people. When you don't come to church, we lose out. Because we need you. You bring something that's unique to you. And the rest of us lose that when you don't come. The family of God is far greater glorified in the diversity of having all of his children here singing and worshiping and and counseling with one another and sharing with one another and carrying one another's burdens and rejoicing with one another because your walk is shared. So what do we do with this? I'm going to make it very simple. I'm going to wrap it up right now. Here you go. Adjust your walk. If I were to ask you to write down on your sermon notes, if there's one thing in your life that could be improved, for, for me, before, it was my lower back, right? Kind of hunched back in Notre Dame, right? I had a little bit of pain. What about in your life? I'll give you three areas. Personal life. How's your personal devotional life going? Any need for improvement? Second, family life. How are things going with your spouse, with your children, with your parents, with your extended family? Any room for improvement in marriages? Any area of your life that we could give our attention to? And thirdly, your ministry. Are are, are you given all that you can? Are you dependent on God? Are you serving at all? Anyone? What what would you write down? Just pick one. Personal life, your family, or your ministry. Because here's the deal. If you have an area of your life that needs improvement, adjust your walk. Make a change. I'm going to give you three ways to do that. Number one, make changes to correct poor conduct. Make changes 
to correct poor conduct. I'm just, I'm just preaching what my physical therapist said. You can't walk like that anymore. You need to change your posture. But hear me now. How foolish would I be to go back the next week and he says, hey, did you change your posture? I'm like, no. I, I didn't feel like it, doc. He'd say, why are you coming to me then? If you're, if you're not willing to make any changes, what do you expect is going to happen? There will be no growth. You will continue to suffer as you always have. So be willing to make changes to correct your conduct. Secondly, look to Jesus as your example and guide. And listen to the Holy Spirit. He speaks through his word primarily. And so find time to be in God's word. But you, need, you and I, we need an example to follow. This is what we've been told, right? We believe on Jesus. We also suffer. Well, how, how in the world could you suffer? Because Jesus was willing to suffer. So pattern your life after him. My physical therapist gave me a bunch of these exercises. Had pictures of people doing all these, all these stretches. I, I wasn't making them up. I, I wasn't inventing these. I was following what had been prescribed. <coughs> I was willing to look at an example. And you and I, if we're going to adjust our walk, we need an example. And so look to Christ. Listen to the Spirit. Be found continually in His Word. And lastly... Make an effort to set aside time and develop spiritual growth. That was the third thing my physical therapist said. You got to be disciplined. You do these two sets twice a day. Now, if our lives were divided up into categories, uh, you, 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 have a, you have a physical life. You, you, you have a, a, a mental part of your life and you have a spiritual part of your life. So if we're going to look at the body and the mind and the spirit, how much time in a week do you give attention to your physical body? Do you guys eat every day? Oh, I'm talking to Presbyterians. No, I, just... <laughs> I eat six times a day. We, do, do you take care of the physical body? Yes or no? You feed it. You care for it. You wash it. How many, how many days out of the week? Seven days out of the week. All right, let's talk about our minds. Our kids go to school how many days out of seven? Five of the seven they go to school. Hopefully you are additionally finding time to engage the old noodle and keep, keep it working, right? But look at that. Out of seven days, five are devoted to the mind. How about the spirit? How many days out of seven do we give to the spirit? Well, it's Sunday. What about the rest? See, it's not going to work in our country. It's not going to work in our tradition to, to think that we're going to find spiritual growth for one hour out of the week. It won't work. The challenge here is that you become the type of person motivated by a desire to be assigned to the world. Let your walk declare to people that there is a God. And be willing to set aside the time to do that. Again, listen, don't waste your time if you're not willing to make changes. We're, we're, you're just pretending. This whole thing is a facade if coming to church for you is all that it is. It's so, it needs to be so much more than that. My, my doctor would have, would have said, go, go see somebody else if you're not willing to make changes in your life. And so that's my challenge to you as, as we um, go, go into the rest of this week, as we start a brand new week, as we continue into the Christmas season. The Apostle Paul here is helping the church in Philip, I know that no matter what it is that you face, your conduct and your behavior, my conduct and my behavior reflects upon God. 
And we need an example of Jesus Christ to set aside time and to be willing to make changes. Amen? What do you say? Amen. Amen. All right. We, we need God's help for this. Will you pray with me? And let's, let's bow and ask God's help.